Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, folks, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. No music today because I'm on vacation. I'm in uh, Outer Banks, North Carolina, and don't have my normal setup with me. I have uh, uh, my board and everything, and that is not accessible here at the beach. So here we are. Charlie Burris, Zach Reagan, as always, here to talk balls with you. We talk balls. We talk all things balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if you want to listen to it regularly, the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Apple, Spotify, rate, review, subscribe over there. And if you subscribe, you won't miss an episode. When we drop them on Mondays or when we're on vacation on Tuesdays. Um, and uh, at youtube.com slash A to Z sports, or, or uh, I guess that I don't even know. Is that the, the URL? Either way, search up A to Z sports on YouTube. And then uh, at Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z sports, and facebook.com slash A to Z sports, and A to Z sports.com for all the stuff that Zach and I write on the internet. With all of that out of the way, let's just get right to it, Zach. Bunch of recruiting news this week with the old Vols. You were on top of this every single day, all the time, uh, working for A to Z. Uh, what's up, man? Yeah, it's uh, definitely not been a quiet month for Tennessee. Uh, plenty of recruiting actions happened. Big, big weekend for the Vols this past weekend. They got a couple of commits out of it. Got a couple of big names on campus that are going to commit in the coming months that, that I know we're going to touch on here in a bit. So, a lot going on when it comes to recruiting. And on top of that, you've got all this NIL drama happening across the SEC uh, with some of Tennessee's rival programs. And it's uh, it's an interesting world right now because we really don't know what's legal, what's not legal. Everybody's being kind of secretive about what's happening. We know deals are being made, but nobody wants to confirm these deals or kind of let us know really what's happening. And it's created a lot of confusion, a lot of speculation not just among us, but among the recruits that are out there trying to get these deals because they kind of want to know what everybody else is getting. What, uh, what, what kind of leverage do I have? What am I, am I shorting myself? Am I getting enough money out of this deal? Uh, what can I get if I go elsewhere? And, and none of that stuff's real clear right now. So it's a, it's very interesting. I, I don't think it'll be like this for long. I think in the coming years, we're going to see a little more, bit more structure to, to this whole system and the way it all works. And I know the NCAA badly wants that, of course, because they want all the control. But uh, I hope just for our sake, just for clarity's sake, that we get a little bit of that moving forward. It would be nice. Uh, obviously, what we're referring to, if folks didn't see it, a recruit committed to Miami for reportedly 11, no, reportedly $9 million. More 9. than... 5. Yeah, more than Nico, a kid who's ranked below Nico, a quarterback who is who is less highly ranked than he is. Um, nine million bucks, more money than Nico, and reportedly he turned down eleven million from Florida. 
uh, and and Miami came out in, in essentially in an attempt to bash Florida. Miami came out and said that Florida's collective is trash and uh, totally dysfunctional. That's going to be the final topic of the show, though. We'll we'll get there uh, near the end because there's plenty of Tennessee recruiting stuff to talk about before we start making fun of Florida. So, um, initially, huge recruiting weekend. It was a lot of names for the future this weekend. Uh, and as far as recruiting goes, specifically 2024, uh, big time recruit Jonathan Eccles, who supposedly will be committing on July 4th. You said, is that right? You said that before we got on here. Yeah, um, that's uh, that's his plan. We'll we'll see how that comes out. It seems like Tennessee is in a good position there. Then you have another. Uh, commit coming on July 4th, hopefully to Tennessee with Francis Maljoa, who is very good friends with Nico uh, and Tennessee, supposedly in a good position there. According to on three, Maljoa offensive tackle, 51% chance to choose Tennessee. Although I will say that is basically what on three said like the week before Carnell Tate chose Ohio State. So put stock in that if you would like to. Uh, they just kind of on three tends to guess uh, where kids are going to go. And they favor Tennessee at the moment over USC, Miami, and Florida. Really, USC looks like is the only other contender. But um, And then Jindavian Bradley has not said linebacker, four-star linebacker, uh, has not said when he will be committing, but has released his top three, and Tennessee is in it. And Tennessee is the heavy favorite for him as far as that goes. But uh, with all of this going on, your thoughts on the on the current state of recruiting, Zach? I mean, Tennessee definitely needs a bit of a boost after losing Carnell Tate to Ohio State. I didn't think losing Tate was that big of a deal. I mean, I, we talked about this before. I, I viewed him as a luxury for Josh Heupel because we've talked about how the offense kind of can work with three- and four-star receivers. I mean, Heupel, he can – the offense is tailor-made for a wide receiver, so – you don't necessarily need that five-star guy. I mean, it would be nice, of course, but it's not the end of the world. Where they really need the five-star talent is the offensive line, defensive line, pass rushers. That that's where you're going to win and lose games in the SEC. Got to got to have those guys. So if you put, you know, Francis Maujoa, uh, Chendavian Bradley, and Carnell Tate on a list, I mean. It's Maujoa one for me, Bradley two, and then Tate. And, and Bradley's a could be one one B. It could be one A and one B, really, because if you got a guy that can disrupt the the quarterback in the passing game, I mean that that's just such a huge advantage. We saw it with Georgia last year. You see it with Alabama every year. It can really change the outcome of a game. So th- those two guys are way more important in my mind than uh, Carnell Tate. And with Joa, you know, he's he's built a close relationship with Nico. They they both have the American Samoa background. So they've bonded over that. We saw videos of them this weekend at Neyland Stadium, uh, just kind of hanging out and just having a good time. You could see the chemistry between them and and how how well they get along. So I think you got to feel pretty good there if you're Tennessee. He's a talented player. Twenty seven Sports has maybe is the number one offensive tackle in the country. So you know these other programs aren't going to give up on him, especially USC. Does it come down to distance? If it does, then obviously USC is going to be the favorite, but he's been playing at IMG Academy in Florida. So maybe distance isn't that big of a deal. Maybe knowing that Nico's there, 
I'm sure their families have spoken. I mean, maybe he comes with Maui or they come with Maui Joa. We've seen that before where families kind of relocate, uh, especially when they're coming as far away. I know Maui Joa travels back and forth between American Samoa uh, quite a bit. So it really depends how that factors in. But otherwise, I think you got to feel pretty confident if you're Tennessee. And, and, and with Bradley, the biggest thing there is his top three. You got South Carolina, Texas A&M. Kind of odd that that he's a, a four-star, a borderline five-star guy and, and doesn't really have Georgia or, or Alabama or Clemson, one of those programs up there. You got to feel good about beating South Carolina. Texas A&M is one, though, that, 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 that can cause some problems. I mean, even though Tennessee seemingly has the momentum right now, we've seen Texas A&M come in late and, and steal some players away. Uh, their NIL collective, we, we've all heard the comments from Nick Saban about Texas A&M buying players. So uh, that might be one where Tennessee's really got to come through with the NIL money. I do wonder with, with Bradley, just looking at his size, he's 6'5", 215. So he is lean. Uh, he needs about and, 30, 40 pounds to put on there. Yeah, and, and I wonder if that's a factor in terms of just those the huge teams – honing in on him just with especially with Georgia's defense in particular the dudes that they're getting are just monsters at age 18 and he he needs to put on some weight I, I think and so maybe that's a factor I I don't know Tennessee needs him nonetheless because I I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said there uh these these guys weigh much more heavily to me in terms of Tennessee's recruiting success than Carnell Tate I think with Josh Heupel, you're going to get good receivers. Receivers in Josh Heupel's offense are going to put up crazy gaudy numbers forever. As long as he is a coach at whatever school, wide receivers, running backs, and quarterbacks are going to put up crazy numbers because that's the offense that he runs. And so you're going to have a generally easy time getting those guys, I think, either from the transfer portal or from actual recruiting. But when it comes to an offensive lineman, especially when it comes to an edge rusher on the defense, I mean – to sell defense to kids right now, I obviously they will never put it this way, but really what you're doing is saying to a kid like, this is going to be tough the whole time. You're going to play across from an offense that really does you no favors. It's Even when that offense is succeeding, it succeeds extremely quickly. And you're going to be right back out there having to play you know, against Kentucky 99 snaps. Like, it's going to be brutal. And you have to sell that to kids who you really, really need. I mean, you t- to make that defense work as well as it can, you gotta have you got to have great talent. The offense can work with middle-of-the-road talent. But this defense is, is tough even with elite talent. So that to be able to sell that and go like, hey, we have, what is, what is Bradley? The number, according to on three, which I, I, I'm only looking at because they have that that prediction meter. He has a 70% chance of going to Tennessee, according to them, but he's the number six edge rusher in America, the number 37 player in America for 2023. Malajoa, number two offensive tackle for them, number 10 nationally. I mean, I don't think that you could say enough about what it would mean to get these dudes. And if you can get Malajoa on July 4th, that would be massive. If you get another, you get a five-star except for the 2024 class. And a, and a five-star, Eccles would be a five-star edge rusher, I believe. He's He could uh, also play tight ends. It's kind of up in the air. I know Alex Golish has been involved in his recruitment a little bit, so 
might yeah. depend on when he gets to campus. But he's he's the number five edge rusher for uh, so pretty similar to Shandavian Bradley in terms of ranking in in his class. But he's a twenty twenty four, so he's a year uh, younger. Um, but you put all that together, and that that sends a pretty powerful message. You know, you're going to be able to get good offensive players here. Uh, especially if Nico comes in and really lives up to that hype. I mean, guys are going to want to play with him. But for for these positions that are a tougher sell for Hypel, if you can get good guys in the door right now, set that foundation. It, it's it's absolutely massive. And I it appears you're in the best position with Bradley. You're in a good position with Maojoa. They gotta they gotta come correct there with uh, NIL for both, with the sell for both. It, but it seems like they've done that as much as they can, and we'll see if it does come through because you you need the momentum right now. There's, what, number 13 class in America, according to 247. I was just looking at it. Um, need, need to get that up into the top 10. That's what I want to see this year. Uh, I mean, un- unfortunately for Hypo, that's kind of the expectation I think he set by getting Nico in this class. It's got to be top 10 class, right? I mean, you have you have arguably the best quarterback in the class, according to these rankings, no lower than like the third best quarterback in the class. This this got to be this got to be a top ten set of dudes, and, and yeah, I think I think, I think this, top this ten top ten is the limit for. Okay, this was successful. We're happy with this. Top ten, top five would be great. I'm not expecting that. Top ten is where you want to be. If it's top fifteen, you say okay. It's close. It's right there. That's okay. That's not what we wanted. Missed a guy or two, but that's we can live with this. Outside the top fifteen, I think it's a bit of a disappointment. I mean, it's yeah. you gotta. I mean, there's just no way to beat Georgia unless you're getting top ten classes. I mean, that's the only way it's going to happen. Even with this scheme, which works and kind of levels the playing field a little bit, we saw it for three quarters against Alabama last year. We saw it for about a half against Georgia last year. You still need the depth, and you need those second-string guys coming in to to not really be a drop-off from the first-string guys. That's what Georgia has. That's what Alabama has, and that's what Tennessee's trying to get. That's the big difference right now. We'll see if they can. Uh, but just tons tons of updates there as far as the potential for the future. And hopefully next week uh, for, for July 4th, it is a Monday, uh, we we've established with this show recruits for Tennessee right now love committing on Mondays and specifically during the time that we record. So hopefully next week, Eccles, Mount Shoa, we're, we're able to talk about them committing to Tennessee. That would be amazing. Hopefully it happens. Um, but beyond that, Tennessee in even more good news there, uh, Jeremiah T- Tellender, T-Lander, how do, however you say this. Probably Lander. completely different from whatever you just said somehow. <laughs> to launder. Yeah, there's a um, solid there's a silent L or something. <laughs> uh 6'2, 217 pound linebacker from Gainesville, Georgia, three-star player, commits to Tennessee, and then John Slaughter uh was a safety, 6'2, 194 out of South Haven, Miss- Mississippi. They commit to Tennessee. Two guys that are not gonna be uh, I would say, like, marketable for this class. They're, they're not the guys that you're going to go like, look, we got them, but they're guys that you need. I, I don't think that there's any doubt about that. Building this defense and and getting guys in who 
who can play and are willing to play, as we've already kind of talked about in this defense. It, it's huge. And uh, we kind of said it last week um, with, uh, with the commitment that they had last week. Um, you never totally know with three stars. It can be a guy who's going to be a starter for you for three years or a guy who never sees the field. But, but nonetheless, uh, two guys in the class for, for 2023 for Josh Heupel here. Yeah, especially important uh, landing some defensive guys here. That obviously Tennessee saw something in them. They're they're only rated as three stars, but you kind of wonder if uh, T. Lander in particular has 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 some nice offers from his offer list. I mean, he's been offered by Auburn, uh, Florida, I believe, Mississippi State, several several other SEC programs. So. That's a guy that maybe he's a little bit underrated. Uh, slaughter, 6'2", defensive back. You kind of need guys that have good length. That's a big thing in the SEC. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt loved recruiting those guys. Uh, we love to trash Jeremy Pruitt, but the guy knew what to look for in a defensive player. He knows what works. He knows what works in the SEC. So that's kind of that same model of player there that we're seeing. And really, Tennessee's going to have to rely on getting some of these three-star upside guys on the defensive side of the ball because right now the defense, you know, we saw that they played hard last year. They played with a lot more effort than I think we saw in the past. They didn't look confused at times like they did uh, under Pruitt where I think that Pruitt's defense was so complex it was really difficult for for players. They, they needed something a bit more simplified. Uh, especially with as fast as some of these offenses are, are going these days. It's not just Tennessee's offense that moves fast. There's other offenses that maybe they don't move quite as fast, but they, they still move pretty fast. But Tennessee's defense is still trying to find its identity, so it can be kind of tough to to land some of those four- and five-star guys on the defensive side of the ball until they really prove that they can be an elite defense under Tim Banks. And, and unfortunately, that's tough because – just by default, this this defense is going to give up a lot of points and not necessarily because they're playing bad, but because the opposing offense gets so many more possessions due to Tennessee's offense. Like you mentioned earlier, even when it's successful, it's still not taking much time off the clock. So just more chances equals more points, and there's really nothing that you can do about that if you're if you're Tim Banks. Absolutely. I, I think it's my biggest fear with Josh Heupel, even, even when he – he got here. We talked about it a ton. It was just, it's, you know, the SEC has always been such a, a defensive league. It's gone away from that more in recent years. But Georgia just won a national championship with defense. <laughs> and you you look at that and, you know, you do have to consider that. And and it's been my biggest fear with Heupel. Can, can the defense work enough with his great offense? to win football games in the SEC. And and we saw last year, yes, it can. Also, it's going to come up short sometimes. And and until you get uh, elite guys in, uh, that it's that's going to be a, a worry. I think even if you get elite guys in, I don't know that it's a short thing that that defense can hold through 99 plays or whatever it might be sometimes. Uh, but it's, it's never going to be bad. For, for Heupel and his staff to get defensive players in the door right now because they they need all the warm bodies that they can get. We know that it's, it's going to be a game of attrition with Heupel's teams. I think depth is going to be huge. They didn't have much last year. They're, 
it's pretty questionable on the current roster. And so any anybody and everybody, come on down. We need you, please. Um, but that's uh, why if they if they land Bradley, it will be such an impressive job they did recruiting yeah, because really, you know, even if he does need to add a little bit of weight, obviously they're 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 rating him based on the potential there and what he's shown in these camps and stuff. So the talent's obviously there. Uh, but but to land a guy like that that could go somewhere else that that has a, a better defense or a perceived better defense than Tennessee, that'd be real easy for him. So it would really show – really answer a lot of questions about Tim Banks and even Josh Heupel as a recruiter. I think with, with Bradley in particular, because you are going head-to-head with South Carolina on this one, you've got to win. You've got to win that. That battle, you you A and M's the one. A and M's the one that yeah. concerns me. I agree, and but God forbid did he choose a South Carolina. I don't think he's going to. And that and would like be I bad. Said, no, on very bad. <laughs> on three currently again, just the prediction machine that they have. That's what they call it, the recruiting prediction machine. Three point three percent chance for South Carolina to win out. Eighteen percent for Texas A and M. But Texas A and M, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to be overly concerned just because they so clearly have these crazy deep pockets and have really been getting after these dudes. It's going to, I'm not going to be happy about it. It's going to stink if you were to choose Texas A&M. I mean, that's a huge loss in a guy that you really need to bolster this class, but South Carolina right now, there's so much comparison to Josh Heupel with Beamer. And I, you know, think whatever about that that you want. I, until proven otherwise, I don't. I'm not going to crown Beamer anything. Not, and I'm not going to crown Hype either. You know, we really we got to see it on the field first. He he had a better season than I thought, but you know, we want to see the real results before we really give anybody uh, that that title. Um, but you got. I mean, you can't lose to South Carolina. I, it's South Carolina effectively at at this point with how far they've fallen i mean they need to be relegated to around vanderbilt status as far as football goes that's that's their that's their spot <laughs> they need they need to move back down that's where they always were before spurrier showed up spurrier made them relevant for a minute and now they've gone back down the other side of the hill and they they need to be it basically needs to be you know vandy vandy missouri then south carolina kentucky has kind of they've gotten up there now and they, they've stayed up there which is the main thing you know, where they, they can actually go like, hey, we can finish second in the East or whatever. And, you know, they've they've made themselves known in that way. I don't think that South Carolina so – let's, let's keep them down. Let's win these recruiting battles, show that we're Tennessee's in an echelon uh, above. That's, that's key right now, I think, in terms of these sort of coaching battles that are going on between Heifel and, and Beamer. Uh, but just – that's almost more like just – reputation than it is like like i i I don't well go ahead it's it's totally fair i mean if you lose this battle to south carolina that's a devastating it'd be bad there's no way to spin that if you lose it to texas a&m it's still bad and there's still gonna be a lot of people complaining about you know tennessee not being able to come through but ultimately you can only do so much in recruiting i mean you obviously you see it with the the kid that committed to miami and left money on the table Florida, he probably preferred Miami. Florida offered him more money, got it close. I don't know what the deal with their collective is, why they're so dysfunctional, 
if they're offering the kid $11 million, it kind of sounds like they're doing what they're supposed to do. But maybe there was some uh, confusion on on the way the deal was worked out, the way it was going to be paid out. You know, there's a lot of business details that have to be taken care, care of right there. But uh, if, if you lose to Texas A&M, it's like, okay, this is what A&M has been doing. They've been doing it to Alabama. They've been doing it to Georgia. Whatever it is that they got going on, whatever it is they're promising recruits, it works. We need to figure out whatever they're doing and try to replicate it, do our NIL stuff better. You lose South Carolina, it's just a black eye. I mean, there's no other way around it. I mean, you, yeah, it'd be disastrous. And like you said, South Carolina, they feel like they're going to fade away eventually. I mean, Beamer's done okay, but I, I'm, not, I'm not with you. I'm not ready to crown him either, especially the way we saw them get blown out at times last year. It's kind of reminiscent of, of Pruitt. Uh, Tennessee, some of his early success yeah. in a way. I mean, they they got blown out in some games that they weren't even in, and then the games they did win, they they never really had an identity. They they weren't exciting. We talked about that Mississippi State game, how boring it was, even the Auburn game. Uh, so that's kind of the trajectory that it feels like that program's on. Really, the entire SEC East, outside of Florida. I feel like is on that same path, even Kentucky, only because Mark Stoops is not going to be there long term. I mean, he's been there, what, 10 years almost already? Yeah. He's not going to accomplish much more than this. He's just not going to get past Georgia, Florida, and now Tennessee as kind of even through this, Tennessee still had their number. Kentucky's won some games, but Tennessee still had their number. Eventually, he's going to head elsewhere. I don't know if he'll head back to Florida State or another SEC program. I don't know where it'll be, but it doesn't feel like he's going to be there for a lot longer. I definitely do wonder if Stoops is like holding out for something in particular, like a Florida state. Like he sees like, okay, that's not going to last long with Norvell. Clearly that's not going well. And so maybe that's his, his spot. I, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Kentucky's all about basketball. They invest in basketball more than they invest in football. And that just, that's not a winning formula for, for an SEC school with what you have to go up against here and they they're gonna just continue to bang their head against that ceiling that they've never been able to break through even in their best years and so i i was surprised that he was still there during this offseason i thought this was this was as good as it's as high as his stock will ever be was this year and he didn't kind of thought he would open spots i kind of thought he might end up at lsu uh, Me too. I, I never uh, thought Brian Kelly was going to be an option. I mean, that came out of left field. That was kind of yeah. that was more out of left field than Lincoln Riley going to USC. Uh, once the dust had kind of settled on Lincoln Riley, I cannot kind of understand it. Wanting to move out to LA, especially with NIL stuff happening, there's probably a lot more opportunities in in Los Angeles than there is in Norman, Oklahoma. But with Stoops, I mean LSU, that would have been you get to stay in the SEC. You're a defensive guy. You've you can recruit and stay. You don't have to be a excellent, like absurd recruiter to uh, find success at LSU. Just recruit in the state, land a couple of guys from outside the state, and you're pretty much good to go win nine or ten games every year. And you're pro- pretty much probably going to win a national championship there. I mean, Les Miles and Ed Ogeron are not elite coaches by any means, and they both got one. Miles almost got two. Yeah. So they – uh. That that was what I thought, but yeah, maybe maybe Florida State. Who knows where he ends up? So after this last coaching carousel, 
and nothing is out of the question, you know, anything's possible. That's true. I, I mean, I think Kentucky's history with Tennessee is the perfect definition of why you have to leave that job mm-hmm. is that in your best years, you lost two not great Tennessee teams mm-hmm. in your best years ever. Like, the the pinnacle of what you can do there essentially as far as we know in the past 40 years those best seasons and in both of them they lost to Tennessee like that's that is the definition of like banging your head against the ceiling that you just you're not gonna be able to break through and you can go to somewhere else that has better resources and cares more about football mark it's okay I I I don't know I mean nowhere may have wanted him this offseason they he may not have had any options but Nonetheless, that's it is funny. The only you know, tennis Kentucky has beat Tennessee three times since 1984, three times this decade. Once was in 2011 with the Derek Dooley era, which was uh, quite a game, I guess you'd say. Nightmare, I I believe that was when Dooley did not speak to the media for what, like he went underground, yeah, he disappeared, some absurd amount of time, months. The next win was 2017, the disastrous worst team in the history of uh, Tennessee football. Uh, four and eight, the only four win team in a in a normal non pandemic season. Obviously, Butch Jones got fired. That was one of his final games. And then 2020, the pandemic year, the Kentucky game was really when we realized that Pruitt was done. Was I mean, end. that game was there was no there was no reason they should have lost that game, uh, and it was a blowout. It was a blowout at, at in Knoxville, and that was pretty much the end of the Pruitt era. So the only the only three Kentucky wins this decade came against just absolutely terrible Tennessee teams. It's true. Uh, obviously, we'll just have to see how how all of that goes. But keep keep the goal for Tennessee right now in, in terms of a realistic goal. It is to supplant yourself above all of those teams and you have an opportunity right now to get yourself above florida i mean and that's that's the real goal at this moment it's gonna be extremely tough to get in the the rarefied era that georgia's in right now and just with how much they've compounded five star players upon five star players upon five star players and then won a national championship i mean that's that train very sadly and unfortunately, and thank you to all of the idiot admin and coaches that this Tennessee program has put up there for all these past years, but you let Georgia fly by you, and it's going to take a while to get back up there. But you have an opportunity right now to right a good amount of those wrongs and get up there with Florida, and, and not even get up there with Florida, past Florida. Then you have an opportunity right now. We kind of talked about there's there's a little like, you know, some some signs in the tea leaves that they might have just hired kind of their Butch Jones, Jeremy Pruitt. And and if that it really is the case, is if that is what comes to fruition, you you gotta be there to take advantage. That just is gah. If if they don't do it this time, I'm gonna be beside myself. But Florida Florida should really send Tennessee like thank you cards for seriously. about every year this decade because Florida outside of Tennessee since Florida won those championships under Urban Meyer, I mean, they've, they've, I hesitate to call them a disaster because they've had some decent years. I think they've won the SEC East a couple of times, won 10 games a couple of yeah. times, but they have not been the normal Florida at all. And they've went through coaches as well. Muschamp, Matt Wayne, Dan Mullen, who I thought they might have fired prematurely 
not I mean he's a a bit overrated, I guess, but what he did at Mississippi State wasn't a fluke. Definitely is a coach here, but Tennessee's just total ineptitude over the last fourteen years has completely taken the attention off of Florida altogether. Well, it, it just made it made the perception of Florida totally different. Because if you, let's let's say you split the last ten years five five for Tennessee and Florida, like Tennessee had beaten them five times and Florida had beaten Tennessee five times, I think the perception of what has happened at Florida is completely different. It, it really would be because uh, you had you had like a couple of nine win seasons that would have become eight win seasons for Florida and just some of that stuff. And you would have been third in the East instead of second in the East or first in the East. Like, I think the perception there is totally different. And so you are absolutely right. And now is the time you are ahead of them. You are beating them in recruiting battles. You are right. I mean, it's right there. You have and you have especially. This year, I don't want to put too much pressure on that. And we're going to talk more about this as the season gets closer. But that Florida game, uh, I don't know that you could understate how truly important that game is this season because it you have you have to win. You have to win that game. D- dear, sweet baby, Lord Jesus, you have to win that game. I I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, Trey, but that's- Trey, 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 outside of Georgia, um, outside of Alabama and outside of LSU trade one other conference game for a Florida win, which game would it be? You've got to, you've got to be season? willing to lose. Yes. You've got to be willing to lose another game to, to LSU and game. LSU yeah, and Death Valley. I think that's, that's one where that's you go, the, okay, the trade, you would trade that. What if it was another sec East team that oh. to me, that's a tougher yeah, there's not. I mean, and you and Georgia's not an option here. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. I mean, I think the only realistic answer is Kentucky and even that one. I mean, they just and it's purely because like Will Levis is coming back. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to be decent again. And and so that's the only SEC East team. But even then, I mean, just losing the the optics of losing to Kentucky after you've Busted them three times in the last 40 years. I mean, that just, <laughs> you can't do it. And that, that It's just not going to be acceptable if you beat Florida and then lose to Kentucky. It, it, it's just not. And, and that Kentucky <laughs> game, that Kentucky game's at home. That Kentucky game's in Neyland Stadium. I mean, that just, there's, mm, I, I don't, I mean, science. Yeah, because of the the coach battle there, South Carolina is not acceptable either. I mean, that, I think I would go with Missouri and just chalk yeah. it up to like a fluke loss. As long as you win like nine games. Sure. You're like okay, that's terrible, but you beat Florida. You know, Missouri got one on you. It happens. Yeah, that's fair. Because I, there's really no rivalry with Missouri. Nobody cares about Missouri. Drinkwitz is kind of goofy, but it's not like I don't know. It's, it's it's like you mentioned with the Shane Beamer thing. That's why the South Carolina loss would not be easy to digest. And uh and Kentucky, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, you just you, you know, I don't care how good the Kentucky team is, you don't want to lose to Kentucky in football, yeah. period. Well, we're already talking about other schools, but let's talk briefly before we, we get fully into this Florida collective nonsense, which would kind of add on to the conversation that we're having. Um, we do want to mention quickly Arch Manning, uh, Peyton's nephew, Cooper's kid, chose Texas. God bless his soul. He's no Georgia, no Alabama. Thank you, Arch. He's going to Texas, or thank you to 
whatever executive at ExxonMobil made that happen. I don't know who did it, but he's he's getting his at Texas. I mean, who knows what his NIL value is and what he's going to make from going there. I mean, I I hope for, for his sake he's got some sweet deals set up, and I'm sure he does with who his uncles are. But um, goes to Texas. With Tennessee, nobody knows what the schedule is going to be, but Tennessee could theoretically see him uh, and, and play against Arch in the SEC in 2025, I guess, I, if everything holds as it's currently. I believe 2025 will be the first season Oklahoma and Texas are in. Um, but that would be about it. you got to assume he's going to leave as a junior, go pro. Um, so maybe one year against Arch. But that, that was probably the biggest recruiting development nationally in the last week. Yeah, and and I wasn't surprised that he picked Texas. They've we've heard a lot about his great relationship with Steve Sarkeesian. I kind of thought it would end up being Georgia, though, just because they're already in the SEC. But and there's kind of some uncertainty about Steve Sarkeesian's future at Texas. I mean, they lost like what five or six of their last seven games and went five and seven. There was rumblings about should he be fired after last season, after just one year or so. You know, he doesn't really have a long record of success as a head coach either. I remember when he got hired at USC, you know, he he left Washington. I felt like Washington upgraded by landing Chris Peterson. I mean, they definitely upgraded based on the results and what what eventually (laughs) happened with Sarkeesian at at USC where he had the alcohol issues and had to go to rehab, seemingly got that under control, spent some time at Alabama – had a disastrous year in the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, Falcons fans could not wait to get rid of him as the offensive coordinator. Just awful. Then he goes back to Alabama, kind of, you know, rehabs his image once again after spending a year there as an analyst and then gets this job at Texas. And I feel like he really got that job just based off what happened at, at Alabama. I mean, he just the Nick Saban effect. He was touched by Nick Saban, and that that kind of makes you a, a wanted man in the coaching cycle. If it's not for that, I don't I don't think he has this job at all. Uh, so the jury's still out on him. I mean, what happens if they have a terrible year and they go four and eight and they have no choice but to fire him? Do they keep him just because of Arch Manning? Does Arch decommit because he doesn't like what he sees there? Uh, there's so many things that can happen that's why the the timing of it surprised me i thought arch would wait till october november maybe all the way up until the early signing period i know quarterbacks like to sign early programs want i mean programs want them to commit early they like to commit early so they don't lose their spot you saw alabama took a four-star quarterback uh not long before arch committed kind of knocked them out of the running so that kind of maybe affected his decision and, and when he made his decision but at the same time arch is the number one quarterback in this class i mean if he wanted to go to alabama they would make room for him they're not going to tell him no no school was going to tell him no so it, it i don't think this is over i think it's far from over i think it could be a very interesting year now if texas goes eight and five or something i think i think they're fine obviously but if they lose a few games they shouldn't it, it could get very interesting again yeah, if it if it's a total disaster this season, I think things could get interesting. But otherwise, I think 
seven wins and Sark is fine and he can go, oh, but we got we got Arch coming. And I mean, he's got what Quinn Ewers is the going to be the presumed mm-hmm. quarterback, the transfer from Ohio State, who was the number one transfer quarterback in this this uh, round of transfers. Um, I mean, I believe former five star, you know, highly touted dude who just got up. I think he uh, was the number one. He was the number one coming out of high school, right? Before he went to, was it Ohio State? Is that where he? Ohio State. And then he, yeah, yeah, CJ Stroud ended up being the the starter and he looks like a killer. And so uh, I actually looked at a list recently of uh, the top or the number one overrated quarterback since 2002. And man, there was like six of them, seven of them. I completely forgot all about them and they just ended up kind of fading away Vincione was probably by far the most successful of those guys then you had guys like Jeff Driscoll I mean I forgot that he was the number one overall (laughs) quarterback and he ends up at uh Louisiana Tech after not really working out there at Florida we had uh that's pretty funny Jeff Driscoll he he had a at least when I was in college that's when he it was the tail end of my time in college with Jeff Driscoll at Florida. And he had, where did he end up going otherwise? I he's Louisiana like, Tech. You just said that. Louisiana Tech. Um but he uh there was a pretty like famous picture of him wearing like jorts on a moped. And we had uh for some Halloween party in college one year, a, a friend of mine dressed up as Jeff Driscoll with the jorts on the moped. I, I just remember that because we it was just a, a meme with Tennessee fans that whole season. Uh, yeah, good times so with Jeff Driscoll. I don't, I did not remember him being the, the top <laughs> guy in his class. That's yeah, pretty funny. Well, there's a so I mean, just real quick, just since like 2006, you got Matthew Stafford, he worked out. Oh, yeah, Jimmy Clawson. And he worked out in college, I'd say. I mean, he wasn't quite as great as you'd expect, but I mean, awful in the pros with yeah. the Panthers was a disaster. Terrell Pryor um, from Ohio State, Matt Barkley at USC. Oh, yeah. Philip Sims, uh, who originally went to Alabama, then Virginia, then Winston Salem State. Uh, I would say he did not work out. Yeah. And there's Driscoll, which was 2011. Jameis Winston, forgot about him. He he pretty much worked out. I forgot he was the number one overall. Uh, Max Brown in 2013. USC ended up at mm. Pittsburgh. Kyle Allen, Texas A&M, ended up at Houston. Spent some time with the Panthers in the NFL. Uh, Josh Rosen, uh, he was pretty good at UCLA. I always yeah. thought that he would be uh, – he hasn't really got a fair shake in the pros. I mean, he, he got drafted and then uh, by the Cardinals, got traded to the Dolphins, and after never really getting a shot, then they draft Tua. He, he beat Shea, Texas A&M that one time at UCLA. I remember yeah. that famous game. Uh, Shea Patterson, uh, Ole Miss in Michigan. Oh, yeah. Da- Davis Mills uh, didn't really do a whole lot at Stanford, but he he's going to be the starting quarterback for the Texans this year. Let me just say, as a Titans fan, Davis Mills kind of concerns me because uh, he really played well at the end of the season there. Yeah. Um, I, do, I don't like it. I That would be bad if he ended and up being really good. <laughs> since then, it feels like they're hitting, like, the, the, the more recent players on this list, feels like they, they hit on them a lot easier or better. Like, Trevor Lawrence clearly worked out in college. 
Spencer Rattler, jury's kind of out there. Uh, Bryce Young, obviously working out. And then there's Quinn Ewers last year and uh, Cade Klubnick from 2022 at Clemson. Obviously, way too early to say yeah. anything about him. So it's kind of a uh, you don't really know, you know, what what to expect, even if even from the number one player in the class. So I say we we've had all these accolades for Nico, and you can build them up as much as you want. It has to translate to the football field, and oh, before, nothing is a sure thing. Before we move on from Arch, did, I mean, I know you watched the clip. Austin, uh, Stanley, Coners, Vegas Sports sent it to us in a group text that, uh, the other night about uh, the competition that Arch plays against down in New Orleans. And I've seen a lot of comments about not just that clip, but the competition in general that he plays against is a, is not what you see in like Texas or parts of Georgia. It's not the best competition. I mean, it looked like he was playing against a JV team out there. Is Arch overrated? Is he the number one quarterback because of his name? I uh, how do you feel? Really could see he is skilled. I, I don't, you know, of course. You, you can theorize that he plays against not great competition. I don't think it's even a theory. I think it just is the case. He's definitely skilled. The thing that I could see being a factor is the psychology with him. This kid has been built up from the time he came out of the womb. I mean, he's, he's, mm-hmm. you got that name. You got the name on the back of your jersey that is connected the two uncles that each won two Super Bowls and were two of the, the great college football quarterbacks and, you know, all of this stuff. And everyone is expecting you to be that guy. You play at the same high school that they played at. You're a five-star player and all of these insane expectations. And I think the main thing that could really combine with the psychological factor where he's, I don't want to say he's, he's soft psychologically because you, I mean, the kid's 18. Weren't we all soft psychologically at 18? I mean, that's it's crazy almost not to be. Um, you just don't know how to handle stuff or how you will handle stuff. But you combine potentially not the strongest mentality with a bad coach in Sarkeesian. If Sarkeesian ends up not being, you know, the guy. And you go and put him in an offense that's not great with Sarkeesian with a bad, you know, just bad coaching. And he has a really bad first year, sets a really bad foundation, and it just falls apart. And maybe he transfers away at that point and is more successful somewhere else. I, I don't know. But I could just see, like, an 18-year-old kid with the weight of the world on his shoulders with a bad coach, and things just don't go well. Um, that's worst-case scenario, I think. It just... It happens. It absolutely happens. A bad coach can ruin a kid. Uh, you know, too much pressure can ruin a kid. I think you you can see it any any time in a situation like this. I mean, we've seen dudes like this, like a like the second year with Johnny Manziel at Texas A and M. He wasn't he wasn't really as good that second year. He was still good for sure, but you build up all those expectations. He becomes a superstar. He starts hanging out with Drake. He's doing all this garbage, and then maybe his head's not in the game. Like it's, it can be a big factor there, and I could see that kind of going south with, with him, Sarkeesian being the biggest linchpin and all of that in terms of how I think it could go wrong. Because I just, where's the evidence that he's a good coach? Where? <laughs> it hasn't happened. Um, so we'll we'll just have to see. Hopefully, I hope he has a good career. 
That's a good point about the the psychological thing, because I've always thought that that's that's really the most important trait uh, in a a quarterback. I mean, Manziel was not the most physically gifted quarterback out there. He was elusive, but he wasn't the most physically gifted guy. He wasn't some highly rated stud coming out of high school, and we saw what he did in in college. I mean, he beat Alabama, prom Nick Saban. The the psychological part of it, where you just had to you get other players to believe in that. And I feel like that's what Nico has. And I know it's easy for us to build him up and, and to point out all the good. I really haven't seen anything negative yet from him, but just the vibe that he brings, uh, it's a positive feeling, but it's a serious feeling too. Like he's winning's important to him. And you can sense it with the recruits that Tennessee's putting together. When you hear these comments from them, I've been, reading all these interviews and look, this is like the third or fourth time that we've seen Tennessee trying to rebuild the program under a new coach. And we've seen, we know the cycle. You get a new coach, you get a couple of really good recruiting classes. And the message is always the same. It's come be a part of bringing Tennessee back, return Tennessee, be, be, be the class that brings Tennessee back to glory and all this stuff. And And that's not really the message that I'm hearing from the recruits. Now, the message that more than one, quite a few of them have said is we're going there to win a national championship. We're not going there to rebuild the program. We're not going there to be a part of bringing Tennessee back to, to number one and all this. It's just simple. It's we're going there to win a championship. I mean, you heard it from the kids that committed this past weekend. Uh, we believe we can win a championship there and that's why we're going. And I feel like that starts with Nico as him being the head of this class and the guy that's kind of helping put this class together that's the message he's sending, and it's resonating with everybody that's, you know, been a part of this class or might be a part of this class. I think you – there's a lot of different types of quarterbacks that can succeed. But you have the super cerebral, you know, incredibly serious bookworm like a Peyton Manning. I mean, you just – you always heard those stories about how the dude just stayed in the film room, basically lived there and just studied the game of football and and was great that way. And then you kind of have guys that they're just natural leaders and they kind of go brain neutral when they're out there, sort of like a Johnny Manziel. Like, was was he the the smartest, most physically gifted dude out there? No, but he just had that that spark. I think Jameis Winston was one of those. You would never see an interview with Jameis Winston and be like, this is one of the great thinkers of our time. No. He, but he would go out there and he just, and in terms of college football, the dude just had it. Like he just made it work. And hopefully what, obviously the ideal to me would kind of be a blend of both. And we'll see with Nico, but in terms of just the signs that he showed, he definitely has a spark, a big time spark with that charisma and just being a leader out, out there and, and specifically being a leader with this recruiting class. Um, the physical gifts are there. The thing that I think that you don't really know is does he have that cerebral element where he's going to get into the the film room and, and get after it? I don't really know. I, I think when you get into college football and that becomes a way bigger factor, you sort of learn who the guy is at that point in terms of that. Um, and so you don't really know where he's at as, as far as that goes. I mean, I don't, I don't know him personally. Maybe he is that guy. I hope he is. It, it, a lot of times that that helps um, for for a quarterback. But well, I'll say I, this: I mean, numbers numbers don't lie, and 
I think there's a lot. Obviously, you can put too much stock in the high school stats, but interceptions don't lie. You're either accurate or you're not. I mean, I've heard, I remember, uh, I think it was the Steelers general manager that just retired, Kevin Colbert, said uh, before the draft this year, before his last draft, that like that's the one thing that you can't really teach. You can do things to try to make a quarterback more accurate, but you can't. You you either are or you aren't. And, and we saw it with Jared Garantano. It never got better. Nico, he had 33 touchdowns and one interception last year playing in Southern California. Like, that's impressive. JT Shrout. A player that signed with Tennessee during the Pruitt era that didn't see a ton of time, that had a great arm. He was also from California. He threw like 20 some interceptions his last year in high school. Like it was always going to be an issue with him. Hmm. I think that's something that you can tell in high school if you if it's going to be a problem. And that's the one thing that's going to keep you off the field. That's the one thing that's going to you're going to lose games. I and mean, that's that why Hendon Hooker was so great last year, is he just didn't turn the ball over. I think he had like three interceptions the whole year. So that's the one thing that, like, okay, Nico's got that. You you don't get that just by a fluke. Like, you don't have that kind of success. You've got to be studying. You got to know the plays. You got to know what the other teams want to do. You got to be studying the other team. Like that comes from preparation, just as much as natural ability. So that, that that's one reason I'm pretty confident in him at, uh, coming into the SEC. Yeah, I I would agree with all of that, and I think don't discount the fact that actually there's pressure taken off of him in some sense because Arch Manning exists mm-hmm. because that's also a factor in this class. Cause, cause you really look at this class. If Arch Manning is not in it per se, he's a 2024 recruit and, and Nico is the, he would be what right now, I think, what is he ranked as the third number three quarterback in the class, maybe on two, four, seven. Um, he would be number two and he and uh, who is it, Rashada? Who is the? Let me see. No, he's a, Is he? A, no, he's a four star. Isn't yeah. he? Let's see player rankings. Uh, come on, Malachi Nelson. I couldn't think. Malachi Nelson is, oh. is the other guy going to USC, and then and then Nico's number three. Um, I mean, it would be between Malachi Nelson and Nico. Tennessee would have the number two quarterback. There would be the the hype for Arch would be pushed off for another year, and like I I think there's some to be said about the fact that like he's not getting the shine of like the number one recruit in this class oh no doubt i agree you know like there that pressure is not on him there is pressure in some sense to be like (laughs) kind of the savior of tennessee football in a way but uh you know that's hopefully he doesn't really feel that way and i and i'm not gonna put that on him yeah i agree Um, i mean it's just like us going through that list just now and you got a guy that uh like davis mills that maybe he doesn't He's not a Heisman finalist at Stanford, so he wasn't successful because he was the number one recruit in the country, and you expect him to win a Heisman trophy, and anything less than that's like a big disappointment. It is an insane amount of pressure. It's not fair, really, at all, because these these rankings, in a sense, are especially when you get to the top 15, I mean, they're just arbitrary rankings. They're just putting players where they want to put them based on their name or where they, where they committed to. I mean, if Nico committed to USC – Maybe he's battling Arch for that number one spot just because he's going to be go play for Lincoln Riley. So those numbers, yeah, they're a good guideline. But when he gets to the top fifteen, top twenty, top thirty players, there's not a huge difference in those guys. Yeah, there's just really not. So I guess only time will tell. Hopefully, Tennessee comes out on the the better end of that whole deal in terms of the 
these these talking points that have popped up where it's like, is Arch really the best quarterback in the class? Is it is it Nelson? Is it is it Nico? We'll see. Um, but let's finish. Uh, we're coming up on an hour here, and I gotta go uh, live the tough life of going and sitting my butt on the beach for the next six hours. Um, Florida and this collective, we I mean we have to revel in it when we can. Tennessee beat Florida for a baseball SEC championship. Tennessee beat Florida in basketball this year. If Tennessee can beat Florida in football coming up and Florida is as dysfunctional as it appears that they may or may not be, this, ah, it just, it it warms my heart, warms my my Tennessee heart to see this. So this week, uh, Florida loses out. On Jaden Rashada, he chooses, he's quarterback, four-star quarterback in this 2023 class. He chooses to go to Miami, reportedly, for $9 million, $9.5 million, according to this report that I'm looking at. And supposedly, Florida had offered him, uh, a counteroffer to Miami's had offered him $11 million in, uh, in NIL money. And uh, he chooses Miami instead. And I, and I could see the reasons. I mean, Miami, Gainesville's a dump. Um, and mm-hmm. Miami is, depending on the, you know, kind of how, what what you like. It is a it is a beautiful city. Been there a couple of times. And, and there's plenty of stuff to do. A lot more nightlife, sheep, you know, Lamborghinis driving around, hot, hot chicks or whatever. I get it. Miami has sheen and Gainesville is... A, I mean, it's a, it is quite literally a swamp. So, like, I could see some factors like that weighing into this. Um, $9.5 million is still an absolute ton of money <laughs> for a kid who's 18. So there's plenty of factors there that could come into why he chose Miami over. It's, I think Miami has the better coach at the moment with Mario Cristobal. Um, you know, plenty of stuff going on there. But the main thing that happened is that the lawyer that supposedly facilitated this whole deal came out and said that Florida's NIL collective is one of the most dysfunctional that he's seen and that he will never deal with Florida's collective ever again. They were terrible and uh, and that they they stink. Hopefully what he's saying is correct. Um, but did you see this, Zach? What did you think of, uh, of Florida being shamed on a, a national stage here? It was, it was a bit confusing at first for me because I was trying to keep up with all this. And I'm, I'm like, okay, they're they're dysfunctional, but they also offered this kid $11 million, which is more than Miami offered. I mean, it just came down to, like you said, preference, better town, better coach. Uh, the Miami's uniforms look a lot better than Florida's uniforms. I mean, it probably just came down <laughs> to silly stuff like that. Huh? So I'm like, how dysfunctional can they be? But then you start thinking about the else in the – it goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of the show is we don't really know a lot about how these collectives are operating. Yeah. We don't really know how the payouts are happening. Okay. Are you securing the deal? And then, you know, a, a local burger joints paying you to, to, for some appearances, like who, who's paying the money? What kind of recourse is there to, to get this money that you've been guaranteed? Because we saw the deal, allegedly that's nico's which is the same attorney that that worked that deal they've never confirmed this nico but but all signs point that way you know there, there's talk in that contract about paying some money back and just a lot of kind of shady things uh, maybe not shady possibly shady but it's really different things that you, you language that you don't see in in normal contracts so maybe it's some stuff that, like that that he's alluding to maybe 
they're not really on the up and up as far as their payouts and how guaranteed this money is or where it's going to come from. I mean, anybody can promise a recruit $11 million, but are you going to follow through? And since this NIL stuff is so new, there isn't a history to look back up to back, look back on. Have they paid their players? There aren't players to talk to about their experiences with all this stuff. So it's, you know, if somebody's giving off the wrong vibe and they don't, they don't seem trustworthy, I can see how that would be an issue then. So maybe that's what he's talking about. Maybe. I I think you've seen some evidence with these collectives that compared to like a seasoned sports agent that you would see that, you know, they uh, they represent NFL players and have been doing it for 20 years. I, I think that you could see some of these NIL collectives are sort of amateur hour. Like these guys would come to the table with these collectives and go like, who, who are you? Who, like what? Cause some of these collectives are made up of people that like used to work in the athletic department of some of these schools uh, and like, don't have actual, like they're not, they're not sports attorneys. They're not agents that have been doing it for 20 years. They're just like people who saw a, an opportunity to kind of, cash in or to try to help their school or try to, you know, there's a, a lot of different motivations there that could be going on. But, but I think that you have absolutely have some situations at these schools where it's kind of, like I said, amateur hour with these collectives. And maybe that's what's happening at Florida. It's just amateur hour. And it, they didn't go into specifics there. And, and Florida's collective came out and made a statement. Michael Caspino has never, the recent comments have never been brought to our attention. Gator Collective has never had any communications with Mr. Caspino about Jaden Rashada or any recruits. Uh, yeah, I bet that's true. Uh, Gator Collective has refused to engage in any dialogue with Mr. Caspino on numerous occasions as Gator Collective does not approve of his tactics. So I I honestly, again, kind of reading the tea leaves here, it feels like a sort of shark lawyer type of guy dealing with amateur hour. Maybe. I don't know. That's a but, that's such a strong statement to make if you're Florida. It is because Espino, yeah. conf- I believe he confirmed Rashada's deal with Miami, right? I mean, he it confirmed. Seemed, I mean, on on three, I, who is? I mean, that's Shannon Terry's outlet. Shannon Terry, the creator, yeah. I believe, of Two Four Seven Sports, who's now created on three. I mean, it's it's a serious, highly regarded outlet. They reported all of this, and yeah, it said. Uh, Shortly after on three, uh, four-star quarterback Jaden Rashad announced his commitment. The college football rumor mill quickly started turning. Uh, they quote social media. And then Michael Caspino with Ford Council in Newport Beach, California, said the rumor mill isn't accurate this time around. Caspino, who has built a reputation as the NIL lawyer representing many top football and college basketball prospects, Rashada took a, quote, considerably lesser NIL deal. So he he did confirm that an NIL deal was taken. I don't know that he directly okay. confirmed the $9.5 bucks, though. But clearly he was involved with this player. Uh, I trust on three's reporting. They've always, Absolutely. He, he's always done great reporting, just like with the Nico stuff. They've never confirmed anything because they don't have that confirmation necessarily. So they're not, they're not just going to throw that out there. It's very serious uh, – allegations i guess you'd say kind of i mean if you say a player took money from a collective that's associated with a program which i think the ncaa says is illegal at the moment that would be a pretty big deal so if you're the florida collective the gator collective and you're throwing that statement out there 
that's pretty bold considering Caspino's probably talked with him and he probably has the receipts of these conversations and he's not afraid to speak to the media. So he could blow them up real quick if he wanted to, uh, it seems like. <laughs> so they're, they're, they might be playing with fire there. I don't think that's the most – they might – they probably should have just avoided comment altogether. That would have been – if I was their PR consultant, that would have been my suggestion. And you know what's interesting with this also is that a few weeks ago, Napier, Billy Napier, said in a press conference, we will not get into any bidding wars mm-hmm. in NIL. He said it somehow like that. Um, and clearly – that was a lie. <laughs> that was not true because uh, this was what sounds like essentially a bidding war um, for this kid's services. But yeah, Caspino said, quote, Jaden left millions on the table. He did not pick the highest offer. He went there because he loves Miami, the coaches, and the opportunity. This was the exact quote from Caspino. I, I hope all of this, I, I hope that this lawyer is telling the truth that it is totally dysfunctional. I, I'm going to guess, in reality, it's somewhere in the middle. I bet this guy is an absolute shark. I bet his, his oh, tactics without are a probably... Doubt. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's underhanded, trying to cash in on the situation, doing whatever he's got to do. You know, I, I'm sure this is probably some sort of PR play that he's making here. Um, but at the same time, I, I think there really is a factor in this NIL stuff because it is so new, because it is this kind of Wild West new frontier that we're crossing into you have people that are going to make mistakes on this front end that they don't know what they're doing and so they go out and try to get in a you know sort of a war of words with a, a shark lawyer like this and i don't know that's the smartest move you can make if, if that's something you really want to do um but hey we'll we'll see Hopefully, Lord willing, uh, Florida keeps screwing up and getting bad PR and Tennessee keeps capitalizing and, and getting recruits. That would be the ideal situation. But uh, this it's just more interesting NIL stuff, though. This The whole situation is seriously fascinating. Just Especially because we don't know where it's going to we don't know where it's going to go. Yeah, you really don't <laughs> like it is when you say that it is the Wild West, I, I that is really the perfect description. I, that gets thrown around a lot, or it's like cryptocurrency is the Wild West, and all of a sudden, and sometimes, you know, that's not necessarily true. <laughs> this really is. Who knows? I, I, because there, it's that fact that you had said at the beginning of this conversation is like nobody knows where the money's coming from. <laughs> like that, yeah. you really don't. Is it? Is it truly like, oh, we've set up these recurring deals with small businesses and that adds up to a million dollars? Or is it like, you know, if, if we're speaking in terms of Tennessee, names that Tennessee fans would know, is it something like we, quote, set up a deal with Weigels, but really the money is coming from some giant donor? Uh, you know, a, a, a Haslam type. I don't think that Haslam would work with Weigels, you know, for obvious reasons. But, uh, you know, is it something like that where just the money is coming from somewhere else, but the NIL says it's, it, well, it's a deal with yeah. Alumni Hall or whoever, but really it's with some giant donor who, who's a billionaire. It, who I'd be knows? Very, I'd be very, very interested to know the language in these deals and what kind of th- you know, is the player signing like is it a exclusive deal or are they giving up their 
rights to make an NIL deal for themselves where it's like the collective's paying you this amount of money no matter what. Like Nico, for example, if he's getting $8 million, say it's, you know, two and a half million a year or whatever uh, he's going to get, okay, we're going to pay you this, like a salary, however that works. It's going to equal out to that. And then you got to go do this appearance here. You got to do the appearance there. Money from those appearances is going to the collective. They're negotiating that separately, paying Nico whatever. Like, I wonder, because otherwise, what prevents a player from earning your money from the NIL collective and then going out here on your own and doing uh, an endorsement for a company? I mean, you feel yeah. like there's got to be some protection against that as well. So, is it an exclusive deal? Is there a non compete? Like, how's all that work? The thing that I want to see is an actual contract here. Yeah. Has anybody produced that from any of these big NIL deals? Like, show me the actual contract with the language. Is there a non-compete? Is there any language built in, like like you were talking about, where, what you know, what if the kid transfers? And, and what happens then? Do they have to pay back money? Like, what what is the deal? It's, it's, it's a giant black box. It's crazy. <laughs> To, to really think about. Um, but so in, in a situation like this with Florida, who knows? Who really knows? I I am definitely of the opinion. I bet the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think it probably is kind of amateur hour with Florida's collective. And then this guy is probably really underhanded. The, the lawyer is probably really underhanded. And it just the truth kind of meets somewhere in the middle there. But nonetheless, I guess we'll see. Uh, just um, uh, as far as that goes, just burn it to the ground. Make make Florida irrelevant again. That's my uh, <laughs> my hope for this whole situation. Um, but Zach, I think that we're closing in like hour ten here. Anything you wanted to address before we we bounce out for another week? I just have one like one final thing to say that people should hold with them for the next eight to nine months. Uh, Ole Miss is not the best college baseball team in the country. There's just, it. it is what they're not. Uh, there's really nothing else to say. I mean, Tennessee was the best face. baseball team all year. Nothing about that has changed. Uh, disappointing into the season, but Ole Miss, you're not, you're not the best team in the country. You got the trophy, you got the hardware, you got the celebration, yeah. you got Lane Kiffin tweeting about you. Enjoy it. You know, Mississippi, the state of Mississippi's won two in a row now. Uh, but the best team in the country is in Knoxville, and there's nothing about what happened this past few weeks that changes my mind about that. I don't, th- I don't think that many people would argue with that because it's pretty obvious that the best team, Mississippi State, was not the best team in college baseball last year by a mile. Ten- Tennessee was Tennessee was not the best team in college baseball last year, and they run ruled Mississippi State in the SEC tournament. So. You know, take with that. And they went they went four and oh this year against Ole Miss and Oklahoma and outscored <laughs> them yeah, both all them. by quite a wide margin. And oh. Oklahoma was the other team in the finals. If you if you were like me and kind of kind of tuned out about the time Tennessee lost to Notre Dame, uh oh, Oklahoma man. was the, the other team there. And uh I was hoping Oklahoma would win. I'm not gonna lie. I was I was pulling for the Sooners in that Same. just because I d I didn't want to see Ole Miss win. Uh there is no SEC pride here in this house at all. Absolutely, so. I I just no. I can't I can't do it. That 
it's pretty funny. Like they they were middle of the season when they went from number one to unranked. Man, they they were firing that guy. The they were begging for Tony Vitello. I they were. I think I even wrote <laughs> an article about were. it. <laughs> there were so many comments because I remember laughing, thinking Tony Vitello is not leaving Tennessee for I, Ole Miss. I'm not going to say that there's nowhere that he would go to. Talked about it on here. I'm sure we did. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not uh, saying that there's nowhere that he wouldn't leave for. I we're starting to see a little bit of crossover between MLB and uh, and college baseball. The, the LSU stole the Twins pitching coach in the middle of the season, which is completely insane to me. I mean, they're paying him a good chunk of money, but it's it's Major League Baseball. Yeah, sure, it's the Minnesota Twins, but it's still Major League Baseball, and he's leaving the job in the middle of the year to go to. Uh, Go to LSU. So, so maybe an MLB team could come calling for Tony Vitello at some point. It's not something we see a lot, but that's about the only job I could see him leaving for at this point. Yeah, there's, there's really no no point in that. Uh, After I, he didn't go to LSU last year, and uh, I think there was another big job open. I can't remember, but I mean, I felt like those were like, okay, maybe they'll steal him if they really want to, but I didn't think it would happen, and, and it didn't. It wasn't even an option for him. I definitely will take joy in, though. Uh, not just Arkansas losing. I mean, that, that was nice yeah. because that was – That would have been was, worse than Ole Miss winning. Oh, by far. But, it, it you know, it was the team that Tennessee warred with the most this season and then never actually got to play. I mean, Tennessee never played Arkansas this year. Um, but the comments that Dave Van Horn made after they lost where he was like, all I want to see is a good baseball game. And that was a great baseball game. That If that's not like the baseball equivalent of Champions of Life, I don't For know what it is, man. That is rough. <laughs> so sorry to Arkansas fans that that's the, the coach. I, I, you know, of course, they always pull the, well, he's a legend and he's, he's the only reason Tony Vitello has a job or whatever they like to say. Um, but, dude. You only like a good baseball game, and that was a good baseball game. A game where you got waxed by that kid from Ole Miss. That I mean, what a beautiful pitching performance that kid put up in that game. And Dave Van Horn, well, he was just happy to see a good pitching performance. It wasn't by his team, uh, you know, <laughs> but but he oh he was happy to see that <laughs> that great game. I'd rather see that great game than win eighteen to fourteen with <laughs> six errors. I don't want to win that way. Yeah. Uh. No, you know, and that let that be the last time that we ever talk about the fact that this Tennessee baseball team didn't win a national championship. So there's that. Charlie Burris, Zach Reagan, another episode of the Big Orange Podcast. Hopefully next week we are talking about the commitment to Tennessee of Francis Maujo, of Jonathan Eccles, the future commitment of Shandavian Bradley, whenever that comes. Um, and and we can have uh, another good positive episode. It's been so many episodes of actual optimism i don't even know what to do i did you know when i did swain's show for all those years it was all it was tough times a lot of the time well the first of real... year of this podcast was. oh yeah i mean that, that was the the downfall of jeremy pruitt the first year that we did this and Not now to mention a massive pandemic oh yeah, well, yeah that <laughs> as an entire <laughs> other thing but uh yeah the the, the optimism right now i i like it is this what this feels like what do i i don't even what do i do with my hands um but that's it thanks to everybody for listening um the the show continues with youtube seriously thanks to everybody 
the last couple episodes have have done some nice numbers over there. So keep, we don't care where you watch, where you listen, just come on over, be a part uh, of the show. So thanks to everybody for watching YouTube, A to Z Sports on YouTube. Uh, it's A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed, Apple, Spotify, at Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach D&D, at A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports.com. You know where it is if you've made it this far. We thank you for uh, for tuning in to our silly little show here, and we will talk to you all next week. See you guys later.